Hello, and welcome to episode four of 35 Minutes. My name is Gabe Malika. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I appreciate you guys waiting on my week off. I had a nice week up in the mountains. I guess not so much the mountains, up near Saratoga. Uh, I had a lot of bagels and pizza, and I played a lot of golf. It was really just what I needed. I tried to record up there. I tried to continue to the poster's credo of posting every week, no matter what, post through it. But uh, the internet wasn't good, and I figured, let's just take the week off, and we'll rebuild bigger and faster and stronger. Uh, A little fun little news is that this podcast is going through what I would call a light rebrand. It's like Arrested Development, light treason. Uh, A light rebrand where, you know, I think collectively my listeners you all are having this experience of oh it is cool to hear from people from our past who aren't on a ton of podcasts um i think mr seneca is a great example uh brandon where it's like oh i you know where else can you hear your old band teacher and so in the spirit of talking to classmates um, I think I'm going to go with a slight rebrand of still calling the podcast 35 minutes and it's still Gabe Malika, still me, uh, but maybe calling it 35 minutes with a classmate and maybe throwing up a Gabe Malika's apostrophe at the top. So uh, nothing will change for you guys. It'll still appear as 35 minutes in your podcast applications, um, but we're going, we have a little new logo that we're working on and, uh, and we're going to lean into the theme of classmates because all of the feedback I've gotten from you guys is, hey, it's cool to hear from classmates, to hear what people are up to, to hear what people remember of you when you were in school. I think that's a, that's an exciting place to be. And I'm trying to lean into it, you know, and maybe it's too niche and specific. Uh, And I have other concerns about only talking to people from Garden City and Hamilton College. One of them uh, is a sense of diversity. Um, But as we go on, I think classmates can extend into other types of classmates, right? Like I've worked in schools, I've worked at summer camps, in comedy, the people you come up with are known as your class. So I think I will have opportunities to expand past the traditional definition of classmate. But for now, I'm really leaning into it. And we have a lot of fun high school, middle school, college classmates coming up that I think will be fun to listen to. So welcome to 35 Minutes. Next is we have a nice ad this week. Remember, this podcast is brought to you by your ad here. So send me a message, a DM, a tweet, anything of the sort, and I will read your ad. 35 Minutes is brought to you by your anxiety. Your anxiety, the only intractable neuroses that's made exclusively for you. Whether it's on the go or relaxing at home, your anxiety will be there waiting for you, lurking in the background or the foreground. Stressed about work? Afraid you'll never have the body type you want? Still thinking about something stupid you said when you were 15? You should be. That was such a stupid thing to say. Why would you say that? Personalized to contain your nagging fears, your unresolved issues, and your regrets about doing or not doing the things you did or didn't do over the course of your entire life, your anxiety is the only anxiety that's made exclusively to haunt you. And by the Walton Family Foundation. Like your hands are so fucking clean. So thank you for submitting that ad. I enjoyed reading that one. I like reading your ads, everybody. Keep sending them. One quick announcement, and then we'll get to our guest. Uh, Comedy is coming back. I will have dates for you all soon. I'm going to do the real comedian thing where I talk about my dates in the intro to this podcast. And if you don't listen the day it comes out, it immediately becomes obsolete. Uh, But my weekly show at QED will be back. It's going to be Thursdays starting on the 29th of April, and it'll be every Thursday for the foreseeable future. Um, That'll be really fun. I'm co-producing it with some lovely people, and I'll get to uh, do live outdoor comedy and sometimes indoor comedy because we're vaxxed, baby. We're coming back. Today's episode is with the great Eric Leonardis. He is, at this point, weeks away from becoming an official PhD in cognitive science. He works at the intersection of neuroscience and robotics and robots. Um, He's a brilliant person. We had middle school lunch together. We talk about uh, our precocious political nature at that age. Uh, We talk about video games we liked, uh, the Bush years, privacy, robots. It was really, really fun to talk to somebody so smart and talented and accomplished. Eric is somebody, a little bit of a local legend, 
uh, sort of everywhere he goes, people know the name Eric Leonardis. So I was really excited to catch up with him. He's really somebody that I haven't talked to in, in 10 years. And I was honored to get to, uh, to get to pick his brain for an hour because he is, he's one of the good ones. He's a smart, thoughtful guy. And I think we will really enjoy it. So thanks for listening, everybody. Oh, one last thing I talk about. I name drop a book at the end of the interview and I just went full white man where I get the, the name of the book wrong and I forgot the name of the author. And I think the reason that I got the name of the book wrong is because as I started to bring up this book, I realized that I couldn't remember her name. And then in my, uh, in my, to my dismay, I was like, Oh no. And I got distracted. So the book is called minor feelings, an Asian American reckoning. And it is by the brilliant poet, Kathy Park Hong. I am reading this book in conjunction with another podcast called still processing. One of my favorite podcasts at the New York times, uh, by the great Wesley Morris and Jenna Wortham. And they're doing a read along. So you can read this book along with them and submit questions. And, and, and it's an interactive thing. Uh, so I definitely recommend checking out minor feelings, particularly as we, um, as we continue to talk about the discrimination and violence that Asian Americans uh, and Asian people are experiencing in this uh, part of the world and everywhere. Um, and this book is really well, well written and beautiful. And I definitely recommend minor feelings, not minor thoughts. It's called minor feelings an Asian American reckoning by Kathy Park Hong. I bought it when I was up in Saratoga and I'm loving it. So please check that out and excuse my white man ignorance for not knowing her name in the moment, but it's a podcast, you know, you don't want to Google stuff in real life. When you don't remember something, nobody, uh, your hundreds of listeners don't get mad at you, but, um, just wanted to say that. And without further ado, and I do say without further ado a lot. Uh, so it's Eric Leonardo's everybody. Enjoy. So Eric, we have not, we went, the last time we went to school together, that we had like classes and stuff was probably middle school, right? Is mm -hmm. that what you remember? Yeah. Um, and I most mostly remember lunch, but I, I guess I'm curious. Right now, you're in California. Yes. Where I'm... Where are you? What are, What is your deal? Yeah. So um, right now, I am a seventh year PhD student at UC San Diego. So I'm in San Diego, California. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's been a ride, uh, seven years ago, leaving New York. Um, but I really love it here. Actually. It's great. Yeah. I'm jealous. I mean, just like the weather and it's, like, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and, and a PhD in what? Um, cognitive science. So it's like uh, neuroscience and robotics, like the brain and robots and the intersection between the two. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a time on earth to be uh, getting an expertise in that, right. Automation is like the thing. Yeah. It's a little bit, it's a little bit ominous and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are people freaked out by yeah. your existence. I mean, I'm freaked out by their existence. I suppose, I guess it's just like a lot of, a lot of the new technologies that are being used. I'm definitely pretty concerned about. That's why I went into the field in the first place because mm -hmm. it was like, Oh, what about like, you know, people were saying like, Oh yeah. Privacy is a thing of the past. It's like, should it be, <laughs> mm. you know, mm -hmm. it's like, shouldn't we have basic human rights? Everyone, wait a minute. Let's, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 of course. Of course. I mean, I remember reading, I mean, obviously like there's the Snowden privacy stuff, but I, I remember reading about, I think it was Slate did a thing about dissecting the self-driving car and Uber Ooh. and how, like in the code, they just like had not accounted for somebody just like walking in the middle of the street. And I'm like, oh, that's like the first thing I would code. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like basic, if you're programming a car. Now, I mean, who knows how, sometimes what happens is you have these computer vision algorithms on the car or these sensors on the car. Um, mm -hmm. And then you're processing those uh, you know, trying to sense the external world, you know, sometimes it's people, sometimes it's cones, sometimes it's whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. um, and these algorithms make errors, even though they don't make errors as much, let's say, as humans in some cases, in sure. some narrow cases, like, uh -huh. you know, when uh -huh. they're like on the test track or whatever, but like, I don't know, it's, it's definitely like when these things go wrong, it's because like this algorithm was splitting the data in the wrong way. And that's really what it comes down to. So it's like a statistical problem. It's really like, it's, it's weird. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's fascinating. It, it's like, it's like, yeah, in, in Silicon Valley, I, I very much do trust like the Google or the Uber car driving around, but like not on the BQE, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Maybe I'm just like an FU East coaster where I'm like driving the fucking Jackie Robinson. That yeah, talks exactly. To me no, that's what I was just about to car. say. The Jackie Robinson would be like the, the ultimate test. Cause I remember there were a few times I was driving on that thing and it was night and like, I'm, I'm hitting it like a little bit too fast. I'm not going to specify any, um, but not the other <laughs> <laughs> um, and all of a sudden it like turns into this little tiny, like, I don't know, there's like an overpass, but it's really tight. And I mean, really mm-hmm. tight. And my car, like I swerved one from like one lane to the other. And it's only two lanes in this little box. And you, when you actually see the wall, the whole wall is just like, scarred and scratched all the cars that just like hit that thing so i can't even imagine how teslas are doing on that part of the jackie robinson i'd really like to know yeah i i, I guess i didn't even consider that we already have self-driving cars the future is here um every time i see a tesla in garden city where we grew up which is not all too uncommon um so i do want to i want to back up to to yeah. two things one is i want to say that you went to hofstra right where my mother taught for 30 years and she tells a story when I mentioned I was going to talk to you and she said for years and years and years she teaches Italian and she said all the languages were fractured there was no unity to the language department Italian department Spanish department and that she saw that you had won an award in Chinese and was like oh Gabe's old classmate and she she went up to one of the Chinese professors and said hey like my son actually grew up with Eric and she goes and this man who had never spoken to me just started beaming that I knew the great Eric Leonardus (laughs) the the, the, the Chinese uh the Chinese student so can we can we detour into Chinese and then go back to sixth grade sure yeah I was gonna mention your mom as well because like yeah when I was taking these Chinese classes I took Chinese for four years um I went to China twice uh to practice I'm still not very very oh, good. Yeah. I don't know. It's like I, I did get to a point where um, I actually taught Chinese three at a college level for like a month. Um, and cool. that was and I think you like your mom was teaching the class right before like mine. So there were a few times where like I'm walking in and teaching Chinese and she's just like, what? Like, you know, the professor, <laughs> the professor had basically had gotten a surgery and he wanted to take one of his, you know, have one of his students cover some classes for him. So we set it up that way. Um, that was a trip because I mean, it's just one thing was in at Hofstra, what I was doing is I came in studying like psychology. Um, mm-hmm. I was really interested in like psychiatry and like um, clinical psychology and stuff. So I was taking mm-hmm. some classes and we're learning about, you know, like what is abnormal and what makes like, when do you decide that someone is, yeah, has a mental illness or has a disorder? And like, when is it, when do you decide that that's like a thing that they can do? And mm-hmm. I was really turned off by it initially. And I was like, this is a little worrying. I feel like there's a lot of, um, a lot of liberties being taken here. So what I decided to do was uh, study history, weirdly enough. So the second thing was history. My second major that I added was mm-hmm. uh, like history of psychiatry, history of psychology to study yeah. how like bad ideas propagated through science like 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Um, yeah. And 10 years of, ago. Yeah. Now, well, that's just the thing. Right. So the more and more that I that I was studying it back like 100 years ago in, in all of these movements like phrenology or the horrors of eugenics, all of these really scary things that scientists did actually do, um, or mm-hmm. the atom bomb, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like it was definitely like I saw people making the same mistakes today. So I was like, that's what turned me back to it to like now when it was like, I need to go back into science to try to like stop this from happening again. But well, that's a idea, back to the future moment. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but then with the Chinese, it was like, I, for one, I had to take a language when I, when I showed up to college, I didn't certainly mm-hmm. didn't have to add a third major in Chinese, but I did because yeah. I wanted to expand my perspective and my horizons. Cause I felt that the story that I was getting, even from the history and the psychology department was a very Western, a very narrow American, mm. Anglo-American European story. So, yeah. so like actually going to learn Chinese language and literature and culture, um, it definitely helped um, just kind of like allowed me to question and have a different perspective, um, from Mm. the average way of looking at things. 
Yeah. I mean, I, the school I went to, Hamilton, um, had a really good Chinese program. So at, at certain points, I had multiple f- tall friends named Andrew who spoke fluent Chinese. And I just, like, <laughs> it was, like, like, it almost seemed like everyone I knew, like, had taken a couple Chinese classes. Um, and what better way to, to, like, sort of challenge your presuppositions than, like, getting rid of your alphabet and yeah, just, well, like, going to tones, right? I mean. Exactly. And it's, like, well, so the thing is to put things in perspective with like Chinese characters and how many you have to learn. So I know about 3000, which means I can't even read a newspaper. So, wow. Um, and you were if, teaching it. Well, yeah, no, exactly. So the idea was like reading a newspaper would be like Chinese five or Chinese six, um, which uh-huh. is just like really the idea is you need to know 10,000 characters um, to read a newspaper. Um, and wow. That's just like all of those little words, like the specific words for specific places and so on. There's there's no like system necessarily linking each of the words together to like allow for some kind of alphabet type thing. There is some there are interesting relationships between the characters and stuff, but it's Mm -hmm. like really a much deeper story than like, you know, the simple alphabets used in, in like romance languages or English or Germanic languages. Yeah. And that number that that 10,000 number my 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 guess would be that that's a number that like the West came up with like this is how how do you, like because you're if you're in school in China and you're in third grade like they're not doing a number count right they're just teaching you the language well they I mean I think that it's definitely like it's different teaching a second language I like like people learning a second language and people like native speakers I don't mm-hmm. know how many like a native Chinese speaker would know at the age of like three to five it's super interesting question it's kind of like it's actually an interesting empirical question like you should go out and check i'm sure they know like i actually i think that like linguists who study like chinese native uh language acquisition would definitely know this i just don't happen to know this off of my my head but i think it's a super like because then it's like well what what, we don't expect two-year-olds to be able to read a newspaper right so they probably don't know ten thousand, right Mm -hmm. um but uh under you know at one point or maybe they they might know 10,000 verbally but can't read 10,000 which is a mm-hmm. whole other thing right that you could yeah. be able to speak it without necessarily reading the individual characters or writing you know it's like each of those things is a, a daunting task to someone learning it as a second language but someone like a native chinese speaker would just pick it up as second nature um, of course of course that's very cool um well good for you eric so so now that we covered like i wanted to to talk about chinese and maybe we'll get back to it but so when we met eric so this podcast is going under a i would call it a light rebrand which (laughs) is that i'm like i immediately started interviewing like classmates and i got all these messages from people that that and i think we were collectively having this experience like hey it would be cool to hear from your band teacher or that old guy you knew from that thing who's doing a cool thing now. And so it used to be called, and I think for this week, it probably still will be, but 35 minutes with Gabe Malika. And I think I'm just going to call it 35 minutes with a classmate and then just put, put my face all over it. Um, so you're, you're, you're helping turn the ship. Um, and for that, Eric, I wanted to pivot to when we really got close and like we had a group of us in sixth grade lunch and I credit you, first of all, you were always like, it always felt to me like you were like 40 years old. Like you really taught me how to swear in a way that like, I'm sure at the time my parents didn't appreciate, but at the time for me, I was like, Oh, like this is so liberating that like somebody like knows how to swear and like, like do it well too. It wasn't like, like just for the hell of it. Um, wow. You were good at it. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, <laughs> it was, it was as if, you know, when you're a freshman somewhere like in high school or college and you're like, you know, a cool senior that was like you, but like we were the same age. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's no funny. Words. So what do you remember, <laughs> I guess, from sixth grade before I start telling my stories? Okay. So from sixth grade, so before sixth grade, I remember that we had basically, maybe this was, sixth grade was potentially one of the the heights. We were late in our doo-wop careers by then, essentially. Yeah, yeah, because um, we had elementary school together. <laughs> I remember yeah, birthday so, parties at your house. Yes, 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 of course. Of well, course. So, so like we, I remember that we we had a group called the Skedaddles for a while, um, mm-hmm. where um, it was Connor Schmid, Alex Ortiz. Um, you were occasionally a member. I don't, I don't, I mean, you can sing. So in my mind, you were there. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we used to, yeah, we used to basically like sing parody songs. And that was a really fun like thing that we had done for a while 
Um, like the weird owlness of it all. Yeah, there was definitely a weird owl aspect. <laughs> he infiltrates every good conversation about for me of the two thousands. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he was for me like I mean, he's just an icon. Uh, but Weird Al, uh, the first concert I ever went to was a Weird Al concert, actually. Hell yeah! Where'd you see him? Uh, like the Westbury Music Bowl or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's where he goes. That's where he goes. So he did a, he was doing, I don't know if this was interrupted by COVID or if I was away, but he was doing a concert where he was playing with local orchestras. Nice. And so, so it was just, it was called like No Strings Attached and it was just him with a full orchestra and a new orchestra in every city. Nice. Um, which I, which I love. But yeah, I mean, Schmid and, and Alex are still people that I, I mean, I play video games with Schmidt all the time and Alex is in my basketball group text. So we, we still communicate. Um, but yeah, so we, I definitely remember hanging out with you guys in sixth grade with like that lunch table. I remember getting very uh, close. I have one memory of Miss Arego. Is that her name? I miss, she was a math teacher. She got really mad at us because we were trying to see how many fries we could fit in our mouth at once. <laughs> like that video, like the Guinness Book of World Records straw guy, but just like with French fries. And I, I remember her yelling at us and being like, oh, yeah, she's she's right. Like, we definitely should not be. This should not be a science experiment. That <laughs> Fair, um, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's. um that's funny. Yeah, you are in in many ways. I just remember you as like the ringleader because you were also on like the forefront of the internet. Like you were my first friend with like a website. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, and it was like one you know like the MySpace era. So it's like I could put a song on my website. You know. Yeah. And like yeah. I think like it just like immediate. I just like stopped updating it immediately. You know, that's what happens with all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I, didn't, I never you? like stayed with it with that stuff, you know? And I, if you think about it, like earlier those days of the internet, if we had all still maintained all those weird websites we made or fan pages or whatever it was back yeah. then, um, then it would just be like, they would be massive now just by the nature of being there from like the late or like late nineties, early two thousands or whatever. Yeah. I remember <laughs> just like, don't you remember like you would, you would go to like type in a website and it felt like there were infinite websites. Like you were just like, you just have to know the right combination of words. And now there's like four sites, right? We're all on <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, uh, New York times. Like there's really, I mean, you probably have like J store. Yeah. <laughs> You've oh, added yeah. to my favorite um, <laughs> Google scholar for me. Um, Ooh, yeah. But yeah. I mean, there's not, yeah, that, that time, I mean, you, you, you just seem like a kid of the internet in a way that I was like, Oh yeah. Like my, we have a family computer and you were like, no, 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 here's nation States. Here's runescape. You like opened <laughs> up my, my world to like, like runescape. Did you remember playing runescape? Together? Absolutely. Yes. We totally played that together. And it's a really, I mean, that was a really fun era also. That was probably more like 13 or like, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I guess that is, that is around the same age, the sixth yeah. grade point um, where, yeah, I was completely obsessed with it and I loved fantasy games, but I like, wound up not buying a lot of like really cool fantasy games. So why not just play RuneScape online? <laughs> yeah, it was free. Yeah. Um, and it was like, it was really like pretty, at the time it felt sort of like cutting edge where it's a, what's an, well, it's it an was MMO. multiplayer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So no. that was huge online. Unheard yeah. of. Yeah. I mean, it's like, in some ways, like it feels like more complicated than the games I play now where like, there was like a, um, there was an economy Mm -hmm. um yeah. and so like if, if you're listening and you don't know runescape um it's a fantasy game you can like uh gain different you can basically work it's like life you can work on whatever skill you want to work on so if you want to get better at fighting you can up levels in fighting or magic or archery or cooking um or like pretty banal stuff like like you could be a, a, a I almost said a, a smith. Can you be a smith? You could. I think you can. Yeah, you can be a blacksmith, and you can make. Yeah. That was that was actually a cool. That was a really. I, I got obsessed with that for a little while. Um, mm -hmm. Like just forging stuff. I think. Yeah, and it. I remember. I learned a very strange, and sort of interesting economic lesson, which was that like everyone was working on these like different skills, and I was like an early capitalist, and I was just like, I'm just gonna buy things for a low price, and I'm just gonna sell them for a slightly higher price, and I turned myself into like a millionaire. Wow. 
Yeah, I, it became like this weird skill I had where I was just flipping stuff, which is totally not the kind of adult I am. Well, I was really. going to say, did this like, did, <laughs> did you become obsessed? Was this like your megalomaniac moment where you were just like, you were the Jeff Bezos so. of RuneScape for a little yeah, while? Yeah, literally. Yeah, I was like shutting down the, the brick and mortar uh, stores and giving people deals. Wow. And I, it, it's so fun. Yeah, I was I was a ruthless capitalist, which is really, truly antithetical to my views now but i think it was a nice outlet and, and this is like actually the most positive video game experience i can think of which which is i think that i just like needed to get that out of my system because i do remember reaching like i think it was like a million coins and being like oh i feel exactly the same yeah. <laughs> and i was like, oh, like returns. Maybe, yeah yeah, uh, yeah i got like a santa hat it was like a rare exclusive <laughs> And then You're like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is you can't even play with it. It's just like a status symbol. It was it was Gucci of of RuneScape. Yeah. And I remember coming back to the game at some point, and all of my capitalist tricks they had taken away, where they had like you would go to trade something, and they would tell you in like the trade window like what it was actually worth. And I was like, no, like <laughs> like the social safety net is bullshit. Like you should be able to rip people off. No, <laughs> I know it's, I'm terrible. <laughs> my my future Bernie uh, political beliefs were. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't start out that way. Let's just say I no, was, no, exactly. <laughs> I think you know. I mean, that's that's just how it is. I think that I also had really extreme views in that direction. Like sort of like really when I was that age, it was like sort of like, I don't know, libertarian style thinking or, you know, cause it's just like new, there are all these new ways of thinking that are you're trying on uh, and you have to figure out. So I don't, you know, when people start out doing things like this, I mean, especially in a video <laughs> game, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't like I was oppressing anyone. Yeah, exactly. I was just, I was trying to get like their coins. <laughs> video game. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, totally. Yeah. That's a, that was a fun one. And then nation states was a really interesting one. It's probably worth just like, I mean, in nation states, um, this being uh, this game based on uh, this book, Jennifer Government, which is a really good book. Um, I don't remember right. who was. I don't remember who wrote it, um, but it was really cool. Um, and it was basically like you have a nation simulator with its own economy and its own like social issues, and you decide on the type of government. And we got quite obsessed with that too. I remember that being like a really like we all got really heated about different like battles and taking over different nations and like betrayals and also it was by the end yeah. everyone hated each other i think for a little while <laughs> and then like but you know after a while it's like oh yeah wait it was just like a dumb game what are we even doing <laughs> yeah yeah and the thing i remember being different like runescape was a game where you like walked around and you had a character and you put on armor and it was like more of what you think of a video game today but nation states was almost like a text forum yeah, it was like, it was like ideological. Yeah, exactly. It and was... I remember the thing that I loved the most was you could pick your country's currency. And I remember somebody had a currency of jelly donuts. And I remember thinking, like, that's a good joke. It's like, a, it's I solid. stand by that. that. Whoever had that is a genius, whether it was Schmidt or Alex or whoever. Um, where it's like, yeah, like <laughs> the thing that we've decided is worth money is jelly donuts. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's really funny. I mean, I mean, even just like I remember, like we would have political debates, which is so funny to think about sixth graders doing that. We're like that meme of those boys, <laughs> the YouTube boys, who are like debating the uh, the debate. Um, but even just the fact that we were curious, I think about that world um, is pretty unique because I don't think every lunch table in sixth grade, if you talk to the other kids we went to school with were like yeah we were debating like like bush v gore or whatever yeah. or or carry like the, like the merits of like carrie's debate performance like we yes. were pretty, um we were pretty highfalutin then in a way that i think is sort of charming yeah Even if we were wrong I about mean, everything wrong about everything and completely just like not having any idea what we're talking about but but like just trying to make sense of what the hell is going on you know i mean that bush yeah. the bush era is like um it's such a tricky communication landscape, right? Because you're getting all these mixed messages from intelligence sources that are just like illegitimate and you can't, you actually, like they were wrong years later. Everyone's like, oh, whoops, you know? Yeah. And it's, like, and it's, and it's like, like basically widely assumed that they were wrong. Everyone's just like, of course they're wrong. But but let's go anyway. Yeah, and it's, yeah. I mean, yeah. just seeing all these things unfold, you're like, I mean, 
it's you're like you're being sold this line and what you're 12 years old what you're not going to be able to tell the difference you're they're like there are these <laughs> there are these weapons here it's like okay the guy from the un what am i supposed to say you know like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they got like like uh like 97 senators i think we're okay <laughs> you know like we were 12 like working through it and it's not like the democratic opposition was so um was they so were, convincing either they were basically like yeah like there, there was no opposition to that. i feel like yeah there, i mean at post 9 11 uh there was this bipartisan just like yes something must be done and it yeah, doesn't quite matter doesn't quite matter who but you know mm-hmm. let's let's try to come up with a, some evidence for yeah a, a scapegoat for for this totally um, a weird time to grow up very yeah. strange because we happened and we were in fourth grade 9 11 and then post that, like, it was very, I mean, like, it's it's interesting to hear, like, I don't know if you've seen Homecoming King by Hassan Minaj. It's a stand-up special. I haven't. And it's, uh, but I know him, and he's really fun. Yeah, he's he's wonderful. In the special, he talks about post-9-11, and for him, it was like, oh, he started, like, the week after 9-11, he's getting, like, prank phone calls of threats because he's Muslim. And I was just like, Oh, like that was not my experience. Like being a white kid on Long Island in a predominantly white town. Our experience, I think was just like American flags and like treating it like a game we were down from and needed to come back. Or like just fear, just like anxiety and fear. And like for us, I mean, like one of my family members was in the building next to the tower. And then we had friends who were in the towers and so on that escaped. So it was just like, I just remember it like all the adults just being freaked out just because it was so close, but not in any way were we facing any of these issues that like Muslim Americans were experiencing after that. So I, I, yeah, absolutely. And not. to get back to a point that I think we'll talk about as we talk about your career is privacy, right? Like everyone was so afraid and like shook that like the idea of privacy, you could argue really like post 9-11 and the like the intersection of technology and like tracking people, like that was it. We we after 9-11, like we gave away our our ability to um, to not be traced any of us. Yeah. With the Patriot Act. Absolutely. And and in that sense, I mean, our our rights to our own private information were stripped away. And yeah. in many cases, it's not just like these government based ones. It's also um, corporate based um, surveillance and things like that on our phones. And, you know, it's just like we, we accept the term. So it's just like that's that's fine. So um, yeah. in that sense. It's like it becomes even more problematic. Who actually ever reads the terms? Who could even understand the terms half the time? Um, yeah. But in in those exactly. So I, I am worried about this. I mean, it's twenty. What it's almost twenty years past nine eleven now, and yeah. a lot of the decisions made around then for people's safety and security um, are. Uh, really, we never got those back, right? So where you know mm-hmm. what's next? How many more uh, privacy? Uh, how many losses of basic human privacy are we going to have? And when is there no longer going to be a private and why is, when is the public basically going to, to like, everything is in the public. Like I'm in my room right now because there's a device here. It's in the public because, you know, you can record and broadcast whatever I'm saying and so on and so forth. It's a, it's a little worrying. That's what I said. Yeah, I would. I, I mean, I'm glad you're um, the person who's going to be teaching the world's future undergrad. So, so are you almost done with school? Yes. Seven years. I mean, my goodness, that's like middle school and high school again. You just did. Yeah. So basically now this is my 11th year in total in college on top of wow. high school. Yeah. That's okay. uh, completely, it just seems like a really long time to be in school for, but yeah. So seventh year of grad school. Now I'm finished up my dissertation. Um, my dissertation is about um, basically um rats interacting with other rats and sniffing each other's butts mostly um <laughs> and us uh we're measuring multiple areas inside the rat's brain while they are sniffing each other and uh-huh. we're looking at how the brain regions coordinate and how rhythms in the brain coordinate to give rise to like social behaviors and things like that whoa okay what kind of 
what kind of social behaviors, I guess, would be my like question. sniffing somebody's butt, for instance, or licking your friend or um, grooming your friend. So grooming is a really interesting behavior that you'll see in primates and rats and dogs and cats and humans. Interestingly enough, we usually groom like when we're like scratching our beards or something like that. But yeah. but usually um, the rats will go through like a series of very stereotyped motions where um, they're calming themselves down, but also they'll do it to others. So they'll basically like lick their friend to calm them down as well. Um, and uh-huh. we'll basically measure their brains while they're doing that to figure out like, is there any brain signature of social interaction that we can begin to understand? Not necessarily find the the basis of or anything that uh, huge, but yeah. just kind of starting to understand how these rhythms coordinate like when we're in conversation for instance like this would be the human uh version of this where we're like speaking back and forth in some kind of rhythm well they're sniffing back and forth right they're rats so they don't speak in words but Uh um so basically what you'll find for instance is that like rats if they're more dominant than the other rats they'll actually sniff at a different rate and the subordinate rat will actually like slow down their sniffing uh in like deference to the dominant rat and there's all sorts of interesting Uh, yeah, there's all sorts of interesting data on that. Okay. So that's the rat part. But then what we decided to do is like, okay, so usually people compare that with an object. So they just have an object, the rat sniffs the object, and then they compare the rat sniffing a rat to the rat sniffing an object. So what we did in our team is we decided, okay, what if, what about a moving object? What about a robot? What about a mobile robot, like a Roomba type thing, Uh a very small little Roomba that moves around. Um, like when they're sniffing that, um, how is that different from a regular object and how is that different from a rat? So, yeah. um, and trying to then sort of examine the brain states between the three and say, well, when you have a moving object, you'll find that there's this brain signature that shows up that is in common with the rat, you know, and these uh-huh. are not in common, you know, it's starting to sort of tease apart our interactions with technology and with like other conspecifics or members of our species. I mean, this seems like such a good COVID project, right? Because we're, we're away from our other rats, right? We're only interacting with our Roombas. Yeah, no, exactly. That's so weird that you say that. Cause like, as we were doing all this, we had no idea. Like basically one of the critiques of my study would be like, well, yeah, but it's not like we put people in between two enclosures and have them sniff each other through like these holes. And now when I'm at the gas station, I'm looking around and everyone's got these plexiglass and I'm just like, Oh, this is just like, this is another level of, cause the whole idea was like, well, this is such a constrained experiment where like the animals being kept apart. Why don't you just have them like sort of freely roaming and jumping on top of each other and so on. And we just couldn't really necessarily do that at the time. We did that a little later, but like, but now that we have all of these uh, regulations and restrictions uh, regarding yeah. COVID and the social isol- isolation that people are feeling, I think that suddenly all of this idea of like calming yourself down while you're being like, you know, while there's a plexiglass, you know, thing between you and somebody else. And it's just like, it reminds me just a lot of what's going on now. So weirdly, it was never planned to be about that necessarily. Like it was always about stress and self-regulation and Mm -hmm. perception and sniffing and like learning, you know, Mm -hmm. but not about, you know, social isolation in pandemic times, you know, of course. course. (laughs) And any, and any, um, any connection to that, at this point is purely anecdotal humanist in me, just like sort of extrapolating, but sort of maybe a fun thing for your conclusion, right? That isn't that where you get to like extrapolate a little bit? Be yeah, like, I, I think would like I, to try to this. Yeah, I think I think I will. Like I think that will be part of it. This was very unexpected that there would be similar conditions, like where we're only interacting with these videos or these uh Roombas or these robots, uh mm-hmm. broadly speaking chatbot whatever it is this sort of feels like like pretty psyche to me like in terms of psych like psychology yeah did you somehow like drift back then in, yeah in i mean this? exactly so basically the idea was um so originally i came into work on like issues in social robotics around these questions um but basically <laughs> i started working in this neuroscience lab where we could really record from inside the brain um doing these animal experiments and that's mm-hmm. what makes this a little bit different than psych so it's not just psych because psych would be like the behavior if we mm-hmm. just examined the behavior without looking into the brain um then that would be 
like sort of traditional psych, then it's like sort of, it's called behavioral neuroscience or um, systems neuroscience. They call it cognitive neuroscience is another word uh, that Mm -hmm. they use. Um, And that's when you mix psych with like the biology, the neurobiology of the brain. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, uh, so it's, it's like that plus a whole lot more. So it's a lot of fun. And also this weird robotics angle, which we add, um, it really makes for, it has a lot of potential for uh, interesting explorations and adventures. Yeah, I bet where, so that's your thesis. Where does the, how else do robotics interact with your past seven years of, of schooling? Um, sure. Yeah. So I used to work in a lab where we had this like replica of uh, Albert Einstein's face. Um, and he's this uh, Einstein Hubo robot um, where basically he could, he had cameras in his eyes so he could uh, recognize your facial expressions and then like mimic your facial expressions. Um, mm-hmm. And we were developing different um, algorithms and experiments to see how people react to those emotional faces. Cause we were kind of thinking that, uh, it might kind of freak them out occasionally if the face doesn't quite map onto their expectations of what it should look like. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, in that lab, we were working on something called the uncanny Valley. Have you ever heard of the uncanny Valley? Yeah. Well, it's like Shrek, right? Where it's like, it can't look too much like your, your 3d thing or your, your cartoon can't look too much like a human right? Yeah. Or else it'll freak you out. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you explain it a little bit better. I had a kid write a college essay about it. (laughs) Oh, no, that's great because that's exactly what it is. So the Uncanny Valley is as it gets more human-like, it freaks people out more. Um, It it has to be quite human-like. Like Like, uh, Polar Express is the classic example um, Mm -hmm. with Tom Hanks. And if you've ever seen that, the CGI uh, version of that, it is really like, it just seems like a bunch of cold, dead, like CGI. And you're just like, oh, there's something like really creepy going on here. Um, Yeah. And what um, I was working with Aisha Saigon um, at UCSD, and she basically was, she found error signals in the brain uh, during these types of experiences where people were seeing androids, um, which are these uh, human looking robots, but they moved like robots. So they didn't move like humans. So people would be like, wait a minute, right? Something's um, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And then what we, what, what basically what she found and Borju Ergen now at Bill Kent University in Turkey, um, what she found also is some electrical signals, which seem to um, indicate that there is this expectation violation uh, and error where you're expecting human motion but you don't get it and your brain is like, wait a minute, you know, and trying to sort of revise, come up with new explanations for that perceptual data. So super interesting stuff there. Um, And then I decided to work in the animal lab to sort of drill down into the brain and really understand uh, the sort of mechanics in there a little more. Oh, like the error message. Uh, Well, um, so not necessarily, no. So that was a different project. So we're not Uh necessarily looking for error messages and uncanny valleys in the rat project, just because, Uh it's just a hard mapping. I don't want to, like, I, you really have to, in, in the rat case, I don't want to make any claims about the uncanny valley. Uh, sure, sure. Because it's about human likeness, right? They would have some kind of rat-like uncanny valley, which I'm very open to, but I just don't want to necessarily make any it's strong claims it's either way. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah. it's super interesting. And if we found any error signals, I would certainly report them. I haven't necessarily found any yet. Uh, sure. But it's not really the way I've been looking at it, but yeah. That the the just like the idea of expectation is really funny to me because it feels like the uncanny valley feels like the opposite of a joke where it's like a joke is a is a break in your expectation, um, but it produces laughter, which like scientifically is good for you and feels good. But surprise going the other way makes you like hate a cartoon and you can't figure out why Um, those things feel like intimately related. Yeah, Uh, I think they are. That's a really interesting insight. I I hadn't really thought of the relationship between jokes and the uncanny. I think weirdly Freud might've actually thought about Yeah, He wrote about jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, cause he also, he wrote about the uncanny. Canny and about jokes. I, I wonder what he would have thought about the interaction between the two because, yeah, it's it is related to expectation because the whole point of the joke is you're setting up this thing where you violate the expectation and then yeah, it actually like makes them laugh. In the other case, it could make them feel really uncomfortable. Now, in another case, horror movies, um, mm. you would have you know you're walking through the dark room and then you, you know you approach the thing, everything's dark, and then you know something goes boom right and it and it startles you, it makes a loud noise. And that is also 
in, in the same way, this violation of expectation. Um, yeah. And there's there's different ways of looking at it. There's so many different ways people are thinking about these moments, because in the fear literature, it's really not so much about it, it is about creepiness, but it's more about threat. It's like you're li- like someone's coming after you and you're like your your lungs start reacting, your heart rate starts changing, your pupils start dilating. You know, there are some deep visceral reactions that your body's having to these, you know, startle moments or violating, you know, um, all sorts of surprisal uh, yeah. expectations. That makes me think of, I mean, Get Out, written by a comedian. I mean, Jordan Peele is a, you know, gosh darn improviser. Um, and so- And a good one. <laughs> and a, a damn good one. And it makes me think like, oh, like he, maybe he has that perfect intersection because there are there are parts of that movie where like people, people behave in a way, I don't know if that's necessarily Uncanny Valley, but like the, they operate in a way that like, they lose their humanity a little bit. Um, and there's also like jokes in it. Um, yeah. And like, he's, he's, I mean, he just re- tried to write a good movie, I think, but the mechanics at play seem sort of similar to what you're talking about and have jokes in them. Absolutely. Um, I think that's an interesting point that I think also, so that's a good example. Um, but also, oh, there's so many good scenes from that too. Um, like with the TSA agent, um, uh, that's it. That was hilarious. So it was yeah. very funny. Um, but I guess what I was going to say is, is horror in general has a comedy streak uh, coming in from things like um, Evil Dead, Shaun of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead yeah. where like it can be funny and scary. And that's a, there's a, I swear there's like an optimal point where like if you have a little bit of funny going on it's really not a bad thing even in the fly with um jeff goldblum there are funny moments in there Mm -hmm. um but it is still a horror movie in the end so but i think there's something to be said about that area where it's like it's this ambiguity between horror and comedy um Mm. you know because it's like the thing which scares you can also make you laugh later on once you realize it's not really going to hurt you and so on and so forth Mm -hmm. um so there's an interesting and like other mediums or not mediums so much as like genres like like dramas like typically like have things that surprise you but they also like like if you see a certain type of sad movie like you know it's going to be sad and where they get you is like how they yeah it's almost like Penn and teller where they're like this is how we're gonna do the trick and then they do it anyway (laughs) where um where comedy and horror sometimes feels like these are they just do the tricks and they like you have to lean into it a little bit with horror and comedy you have to like buy in totally Um, suspension of disbelief is key to any of these things working (laughs) even a joke right you have to suspend the disbelief until the punchline right absolutely cool man that's um it sounds like i mean it sounds like you're getting a lot out of this this fancy education. It's, um, yeah, it's really been, it's been super interesting and it's given me the opportunity to, I think it's like when you finally get the education, people are kind of more interested in what I have to say about how the brain works. And now, you know, mm. back then I had my opinions, but I wasn't like, they're like, so what you, so who cares what you say about that? But now it's like, yeah. oh yeah. Would you like to talk at this thing? Like I gave a talk. Uh, this is one of my, I really love this one. This was a talk I gave at like a hotel outside of Comic-Con during Comic-Con in San Diego. Hell and yeah. We had, we sold about, well, there were about 2000 people online. There was about 500 people who came to the talk and basically it was with uh, national geographic brain games and this like shark week thing. So it was like a shark event. So it's like a pool party, but with like sharks like like blow up sharks everywhere. It was really strange. But yeah. um, so I gave a talk about um, neuroethics. Um, and yeah. in, in, in the talk, I was talking about how um, Elon Musk's Neuralink uh, is potentially problematic. Um, it's like a thing he wants to put in people's brains. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do you mean? <laughs> Doesn't sound like a problem to me. Sounds great. Sign me up. Give me, give me two doses. <laughs> it's just kind of like, you know, we've been doing this in animal, like in, in animal research for a long time and humans do get this when they're like rehabilitating and they need like a prosthesis. And it's like in those conditions, it is like totally warranted. I support the use of brain computer interfaces for helping people that have lost some kind of function. Um, mm. But what he is advocating for is like, you know, we, we should be able to play video games because of this thing inside of our head. And then we should be able to speak to each other using only our brains and all this like enhancement stuff. The idea is like, you know, you should enhance your brain with this by getting this invasive tool. I think that that 
I think that we should be extremely cautious about that because the idea is just like, okay, now that I can get your brain data, I'm just going to broadcast it and sell it to everyone. The idea is that oh you won't, God, your yeah. brain data won't be private. So your thoughts won't be private to some extent. So it doesn't map on one-to-one, right? So don't even think that it is going to be your thoughts. It's going to be like your blood pressure in this vein or like you know it's going to be like um this voltage of this membrane potential at this part of your brain you know in the let's say the motor part or the other sensory part so it's like it's not complete information either so i don't want to sell this story like you know they're going to be able to read your mind and so on but it's close it's closer to that than we should be comfortable with okay yeah if they're already ready to sell (laughs) they're going to sell whatever they have and figure out um, yeah, they're going to do what they did to, to Google on your phone, to your brain. Yeah. That's the new frontier, right? Uh, yeah. Oh so, man. Yeah. So it's just kind of trippy. Like I'm sitting here like, wait, that's certainly, that's not what we're doing. Right. Like everyone, we can, we can get on board with like when people need help totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, if it's just like regular folks, I don't see why we would do that because the idea is that like drilling into your skull is like that is personal and <laughs> yeah and like for enhancement like have, yeah. don't we already have everything at our fingertips I and mean, it's like done nothing for us and like it doesn't well, feel good it depends i mean some people will say you know like the the future's already here it's just not evenly distributed so it depends who mm. has access to these technologies then then mm-hmm. there's a whole other like sort of arms race style argument which i think i don't know these are all very dangerous metaphors to be using here i just it's like for, for the case of Neuralink, the only thing that they really innovated was they made a mass implantation device, which could basically bring down the time for brain surgeries to like very, very short time. So right now when we perform brain surgeries, it's like uh, eight hours, 10 hours, right? Because like yeah. you have people that are like, we should be careful and let's yeah. take our time while doing this brain surgery. <laughs> and like, um, instead, let's make a mass implantation device. So we can just be like, kerplunk. They called it like the neural sewing machine or something like that, where you just you just plop them right in and you're just ready to go, you know? And that to me is like, no, we should probably take a lot of care in human brain surgery and not try to unnecessarily speed things up because we want to be engineers and everything should be optimal and so on and so forth. Yeah. They, they already want to mass produce optimize. It sounds like. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's terrifying. So, so you, so you gave this, you gave this talk to, to Comic-Con yeah, and basically I used cowboy uh, cowboy bebop references. Um, there was this episode <laughs> called Brain Scratch, um, and it is a really great episode um, because it basically, yeah, this guy, he makes his brain device. He's like, you know, uh, leave your body, you know, leave your dirty body and transcend. And, you know, everyone starts using it. They get addicted, classic story. And then, you yeah. know. Um, the heroes have to come in and, you know, stop them. Right. Uh, so like, it's already done. Like cowboy bebop already solved this problem. Don't, yeah. don't reinvent the wheel here. You know, let's yeah. follow, let's follow the classic line. That, like, this is how this is going to go, you know? Yeah. So that, and that I, was really fun. <laughs> I hear this is fundamentally different than self-driving cars. Like, like the invasion of the brain feels like a, yeah. um, a reject, like, a. Um, cause you can put your phone down, right? Yeah. Like we don't do it, but like in theory, I could just put it on airplane <laughs> mode and not look at it 10 hours a day. Um, so there's at least the illusion of agency, but if something's like in your brain, um, yeah, agency becomes really problematic, but also, so in self-driving cars, they have their own agency problems, right? Because the idea is that the driver has the agency. So like, mm-hmm. uh, and then when you take the driver away and you make it automatic, Right. Uh, and like, uh, I guess like autonomous in, implies that it has its own agency, like uh-huh. separate from the driver. So it's yeah. really, really like that's a different issue. And it, it does seem slightly different that it's like actually inside your skull to me. There's something medical about that, that the self-driving car um, might not uh, be like this, like medical tool. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Although, I mean, yeah, it has implications like for like all the crash test statistics and so on for medical trauma and so on. But I don't think so. Yeah. I think they're very different problems, but they're both weirdly related to agency. And I think my dissertation is also uh, somewhat about um, agents, not agency, where it's like you have uh-huh. robots versus objects versus other rats or other humans um, yeah. and how does interacting with those uh, 
and their own capabilities uh, change the way your brain works. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating, Eric. I and you'll I guess you'll be done with this in theory like this year. Is it this semester? Is that you're gonna, yes. gonna be done? Wow. Okay. Because yes. it's it's so funny. I um I'm a <laughs> in a real capitalist form. I already as I ask these things, I'm like, oh, when I have Eric on again in a year, I can ask him about <laughs> what we got to. I'm like, oh, the sequel is gonna be even bigger and yeah. better. Too fast, too Eric. <laughs> um, By the way, so those th- films are a treasure. A national, an international, like I was watching Fast Five the other day because I was, I went on a tear. I was like, let me watch all the Fast and Furious movies in one day just because they are yeah. masterpieces. Um, <laughs> just, why not? La Familia, <laughs> the Corona. I'm, I mean, you really that talk about a buy-in, like not the kind of movie I typically see, but like when my friends are like, yeah, let's put on Fast and Furious. I'm like, speaking of Fast and, Fast and Furious 2 has a rat that digs into some guy's stomach with oh, heat. Yeah, no. And, and also I was going to say, um cgi paul walker um oh R- get you R- every R- time r.i.p R- by the way but i i was yeah that was a kind of vaguely uncanny but i feel like he might have crossed the uncanny valley Ooh, i don't know i don't think so. that seems like an undergrad thesis but I'm, <laughs> I, I am all about you exploring that <laughs> did, so... did paul walker cross the uncanny <laughs> valley on his way did, to heaven did he walk her across <laughs> the uncanny valley <laughs> Uh, I'm so sorry, wow, everyone. Wow, um, wow! I know, I know. Look what I've done. Um, okay, so we're 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 slowly going to wrap up, Eric. This is the, these conversations go so fast. Um, so, what are you up to now? You're are you like a, you're applying to like be a professor someplace? I'm applying to postdoctoral research positions. Ooh, okay, there's always yeah. a step. I know there's always another step before you become a professor. So yeah, um, I've uh, yeah, I'm I'm like out in the job market. I have. Uh, gotten some interviews that are hopeful yeah. and gotten plenty of rejections. Um, of course. So, yeah. You need those too. So yeah, we'll see where I end up. Um, there's a possibility I could end up, I mean, I'm probably going to move out of California. I could end up back in New York. I could end up in Europe or Canada or California. Who knows? I really don't know. It's all up in the air. That's what's the yeah. weird part about academics is your next step. It's like, it could be even Australia. I had like a, a chance possibly to do that. So it's kind of like, cool. You never know. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, with English speaking comedy, there's really only like four places. But having done <laughs> ha- having done Edinburgh now, oh, there's yeah. like festivals. There's because I met I basically met people from every English speaking or English comedy speaking part corner of the world. So I'm like, oh, like maybe I'll be big in Australia, and I mean I probably won't be, but um, in, <laughs> I do have some 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 success in Scotland. So maybe. Well, that's I mean that's a very cool place to do comedy. I would love to hear more about that. To be honest, I know it's the end of the conversation. But, no, 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 but no. yeah. Um, that's a uh, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, we can. I mean, Eric, we don't we don't have to stop being friends now. It's been. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, comedy is uh, it's coming back, and I'm already like it's so weird with the brain. For so long, I was just like sad this year, and just like the idea because I didn't have anything to like prepare for. Totally. And without a thing to prepare for, like your brain just sort of like doesn't. I just didn't know what to do, and even just having like oh my weekly shows coming back, it's like oh let me start coming up with things I could do in three weeks and already my brain just like knows like there's possibilities to like filling gaps. Yeah. And I started writing in, I wrote out all the premises of jokes that like I didn't, I haven't had, couldn't work on. And I was like, Oh, this is a real list. I could work on this list for this, just this list for three to six months and be like very content. Um, so, so that's sort of exciting. Um, but the last part of our conversation is always a fill in the blanks question. So there's not too many of them, um, but we will start with uh, most people don't know blank about the brain. <laughs> um, most people don't know shit about the brain. <laughs> a to the man, I didn't even take narrow. Um, uh, oh, we didn't even talk about your house music career, but I just wrote uh, besides house music, I also listen to a lot of blank. Hmm. Besides house music, I also listen to a lot of drum and bass. Drum and what is drum and bass and how is it different? Um, so house music like um is more like a four on the floor, like boots and cats, boots and cats type deal. Sure. Now, drum and bass um is like really, really sped up 
and it's like got more of like a hip hop break style. If you've ever heard like the Powerpuff Girls theme song, maybe this is great more reference for me. Yes. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm trying to think of classic D and D songs that you'll know, and none of them actually are ones well, was, that you would probably. I'm gonna say, Eric, I was pretty terrified you were gonna say somebody I had not heard of. The relief, the surprise, the reverse uncanny valley of the Powerpuff Girls theme song really did it for me. So that like. That type thing. Okay. Um, okay. That's drum and bass. It's a little bit more uh, high energy. So I like that too, as well. Um, but also, I mean, I love jazz. I love classical mm. music. Um, but yeah, metal as well. Punk music back that's then. That's right. You were the you were the sixth grader with the Megadeth T-shirt. Yes, exactly. So that's um, those are the roots. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> you were you were forty in sixth grade, Ark. I'm going to stand by it. It's true. Um, but in a way that I really did appreciate. Um, academia would be better if blank happened without uh, on future jobs. <laughs> academia would be better if um, dismantling systemic racism in the patriarchy and academia happened. Hell yeah, that's a great. Yeah. It's so I'm just reading um, um, minor thoughts. You know this book. Um, I don't, God, the woman's name, she's a brilliant poet. Uh, and she writes about being Asian American and, um, uh, and it's brilliant. And I'm following along on the still processing podcast. It's like a read along mm -hmm. and she's talking about like, just like Asian people in academia and just like the crazy stuff that happens in academia, like the racist, awful stuff. Yeah. And so I've been, I've been thinking yeah. about it a lot this like past week as I've been working through her book. Um, but everybody should read uh, Minor Thoughts. It's um, she, right now she has a whole chapter on um, why she loves Richard Pryor and the oh. way he talks about race. And I'm just like, yeah. my worlds are colliding. I'm so yeah. glad I'm reading this book. Oh, um, Richard Pryor is just what a great icon and hero and thinker. Like, uh, wow. Just yeah. like all around. Yeah. Um, the um, Before we, we get back to um, comedy full full stop, I think I need to go through and just like watch all the Richard Pryor I can just to remember like, Oh yeah. Remember like, this is like beautiful art also. Yeah. This like, is what just comedy like, is. Yeah. yeah it's not just like a check spot for drunk tourists in times square where you're like, God, I hope they know what a rice cake is or whatever. <laughs> um, cool. That's a great answer, Eric. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you're on the good team. Um, I'm glad we both arrived there politically. Um, look at us go. Uh, the best type of friend always blanks. Or always has um, in your life. Always um, listens. Mm, that's a great answer. Uh, and last but not least, and this is sort of a fun one, and I, I like the way I've, I've structured this question. It's the first time I've ever done this. Uh, humans have free will. True or false? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> oh, man. True or false? Yeah, you can, you can extrapolate. I was just sort of oh, making fun Lord. of you. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Oh, Lord. Uh, it can be a short answer if you want. Uh, okay. So uh, the kind that people think that we have, like traditionally, uh, yeah. no, not at all. Wow. Okay. But some kind of like, like it's, it's really important that we maintain this just pragmatically, just from like a political standpoint, like mm -hmm. free choice to some extent, like people need to be able to choose and vote. So we need to like, we need to not get rid of free will altogether. We need to just kind of like, it's not that we are never influenced by other people or groups or like corporations or governments or information, you know, like we're not really making the choices by ourselves separate from the world. That's really the point. The idea is that like to some extent, the world does determine our actions. So we can't just think that we are these individuals who uh, are completely separate and can just decide for ourselves how the world is, you know? So it's a really tricky, that's another podcast, I guess. Is <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. That'll be the, that'll be uh that'll be too fast to Eric, which is what I will call the second, um, the, uh, uh, the second edition of this podcast. But yeah, that's really interesting. I think about, I think I had a, a phase like two, maybe like a year ago, right before lockdown, where I had like a two week period where I was just like, this is all predetermined. I don't have choice over any of this. Like I buy ham at the grocery store because of like whatever conditioning yeah, exactly. and not PBA or whatever. <laughs> 
and That's i remember that is yeah, a, like it's a, a real trip. rabbit hole yeah <laughs> that is not fun to go down um and sort of like and then i think it's so funny i think it was just like one one um fatalist podcast at the wrong moment and then like one humanist podcast like get me out of it because i'm so impressionable like i like to think like oh at what age do you stop like changing your career plans on like whatever podcast you just listen to because if i were listening to this podcast i was like maybe i could be a cognitive uh scientist and get a phd like what i'm not doing i don't have any plans the next seven years um that, that's how I'll feel listening to this. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, that's a really interesting topic that I would love to like ask you a million questions about. And I think, I do think it's also important that like people are still held accountable for their actions, right? Like not everything is like, it's predetermined. I had to do well, this. Exa- well, exactly. That's the worry, right? Like that, that, you know, it all falls apart. Like all of society mm-hmm. falls apart once you do that. It's why we're, it's why, I mean, I write letters for kids going to college all the time. And if something happens that, that's out of their control or even in their control, I provide context, right? It's like these things influence their behavior in these classes. You should still let them go to college or whatever. Um, but also we can't, we can't take it the other way where it's like this sort of like libertarian way that I think about where exactly we need to we're re- free we need to yeah, resist like the corporations this. because that's like, the idea like yeah we're so free and individual and corporations are literally dictating every single thing that's happening but we're supposed to pretend like you know we are choosing for this thing to perpetuate itself so it's exactly. like, school choice right that's yeah. a real dangerous thing where it's like there's no there's no effing choice lady like I'm talking Betsy DeVos in my head Cool. Well, Eric, that was our conversation. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. This was so nice to catch up. Um, You were worth the wait because uh, I canceled and you canceled. We had all these. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that was. No, no, no. (laughs) I did the same. We we, we literally are one for one, but uh, you're a lovely person. And I want to hear a year from now, let's say, um, when we do the sequel, I will have even better questions and I will do even more homework because this time I was like, oh, we can talk about sixth grade lunch. Like, who gives a shit? Um, but next time I'll do some research and I'll read some Daniel Dennett or whatever. Ooh. And, uh, <laughs> Great. and uh, we can really uh, we can really uh, dig in there. But it was a pleasure talking to you, buddy. Good luck with everything. Yeah, it was great. And you also are a lovely interlocutor. It was great talking to you. Um, wow. And uh, going on the poster. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was a pleasure. So I'm looking forward to next year as well. Sounds good, buddy. I'll uh, don't be a stranger. I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. That was it. That was my interview with the great Eric Leonardis, PhD in cognitive science. Follow him on all social media platforms for house music updates and cool robotics stuff. I love talking to this guy. Uh, what, a, what a smart, thoughtful guy. If you haven't already watched Gabe Time on Instagram TV, please check it out. It's my Instagram TV talk show. The first one is about pandemic sadness. I'm working on episode two right now. Hopefully we'll be able to film that shortly and uh, keep pumping out that content If you wouldn't mind sharing this podcast with your friends from high school, from college, whomever, share this. It really helps. I would love to maybe turn my life into the life of a podcaster. So it helps if people share this and give me five stars and just send it around if you you like hearing this stuff. And as always, send me your ads or your feedback or whatever. Um, It's appreciated. I love hearing from people. So please do that and stick around next week. Oh, man, a week from today. We will be putting out an episode with an extremely important and kind and thoughtful member of my graduating class of Garden City High School, uh, who is, uh, let's just say, is someone I would consider frontline in more ways than one. So new episode next week. Watch Gabe time. Comedy's coming back. Stay safe, everybody. Go Knicks.